Good morning. Please turn to your Bibles. And this morning we continue our studies in the book of Acts. And we have arrived at Acts 24. And we're going to read the whole of the chapter. So sit back and uh, listen once again to David Suchet, the well-known actor, read from this text. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere, and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than twelve days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple, or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues, or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the Way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. 
At the same time he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. The sermon last week ended with Paul being taken to Caesarea under heavy Roman guard. When the Roman commander, Lysias, found out about the conspiracy of 40 men to murder Paul, Paul, a Roman citizen, whom Lysias was responsible to protect, Lysias acted wisely and moved Paul to a more secure location. If you remember previously, Lysias had taken Paul before the Sanhedrin and had determined by their response that the accusations against Paul were accusations regarding questions about Jewish law and the Jewish religion, and there was no accusation deserving death or even imprisonment. Paul is now in Caesarea, held in custody at Herod's Praetorium Palace. Now, this complex of buildings had been constructed by Herod the Great and now served in several capacities, including the governor's res residence. Now, on the basis of Lysias' letter and Paul's Roman citizenship, Felix the governor could have and should have freed Paul when he arrived. But instead, he kept Paul under guard while he waited for the Jews to come from Jerusalem and place their accusations before him. In looking at this uh, particular chapter, I wanted to try and find some kind of uh, thread that ran through the chapter. And the more I pondered this and the more I prayed about this, I think one of the threads that runs through, which is an important thread, is the whole question of integrity. So I want to call this sermon A Life of Integrity. Years ago, 20th Century Fox advertised for a salesman. And they got this reply from a particular applicant. I quote, this applicant wrote this, I am at present selling furniture at the address above. You may judge my ability as a salesman if you will stop in to see me at any time, pretending that you are interested in buying furniture. When you come in, you can identify me by my red hair. And I have, will have no way of identifying you. Such salesmanship as I exhibit during your visit, therefore, will be no more than my usual workday approach and not a special effort to impress a prospective employer. Now, I don't know if the person who wrote that got the job, but he did demonstrate a quality that is rare. It's rare, although it shouldn't be. And that quality is the quality of integrity. It's very easy to talk about integrity, but quite difficult to practice it. 
1980, in an American magazine called Sports Illustrated, a well-known athlete said this, fame is a vapor, popularity is an accident, and money takes wings. The only thing that endures is character. But talking about character, integrity, and living those things out are two quite different concepts, aren't they? When we do find a man whose life radiates integrity, we should pause and learn from him. Now, in my view, the Apostle Paul was such a man. In his defence before Felix, to the charges that the Jewish leaders brought against him, Paul proclaimed his integrity by saying, I always do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Chapter 24, verse 16. But he not only proclaimed that integrity, he lived it out. Now let's follow the story with uh, that in mind. First of all, let me talk about this man, Felix, the governor. It was common knowledge that this man, Felix, was a scoundrel. He was, a, he was originally a slave who gained his freedom and rose to power through his connections. Now, a well-known historian called Tacitus described Felix as a man who reveled in cruelty and lust. And he, he said this, Felix wielded the power of a king, but with the mind of a slave. And Felix's rule over Palestine was marked by unrest and turmoil. And he dealt with any kind of rebellion or insurrection by crucifying hundreds of rebels. If Tertullus, the lawyer for the Jewish group that went up to meet Felix, could convince Felix that this renegade Paul was a seditious man, it would not bother Felix's conscience in the least to crucify Paul, or rather, because Paul was a Roman citizen, to lop off his head. And so we have here in this story, I think, Paul, a man of integrity, against a lawyer, a group of Jewish leaders who had tried to assassinate him, and a governor who notoriously lacked integrity. And I think we have, in the way Luke tells the story, we have Paul on one side and everybody else on the other. Paul, a man of integrity, all the others lacking very clearly integrity. And we can live with integrity by speaking the truth, by living in line with scripture, and by keeping a blameless conscience before God and men. And that's, those are the three factors we see shown by Paul very, very clearly. Before we look at the story in detail, I want to say this about integrity, that a life of integrity does not shield us from being falsely accused. If this world were made up of basically good people, a man of integrity would be well loved and have no enemies. 
But this world is not full of basically good people, is it? Many love darkness rather than light. And since a life of integrity exposes the evil deeds of others, the darkness in the lives of others, those others often slander the man of integrity. We would be naive if we think that if we live with integrity, we will be protected from false accusations and slanderous attempts to bring us down. So let's look at the text. In chapter 24, verses 1 to 9, Tertullus, the kind of lawyer on behalf of the, uh, the Jews, presents his shaky case against Paul. Nearly half of his speech consists of his very obvious flattery towards Felix. Now, it's one thing to be polite towards the one in authority. Paul does that in chapter 24, verse 10. But Tertullus's flattery goes so far beyond credulity that probably even Felix himself was thinking, come on, we all know that you're lying, just get on with your case. And Tertullus promises to be brief, as if to say, Governor, this, this case is a no-brainer. Just grant us what we ask by getting rid of this pesky fellow, and we could all then get on with more important matters. Now, Tertullus brings three charges against Paul. Although the Jewish leaders main kind of gripe was religious in nature, they knew that religious charges would not get far with the Roman governor. Rome took charges of political unrest very seriously. And if Paul were, were guilty, was guilty of sedition, he would be executed. Knowing this, the Jewish leaders framed the first two charges in terms of political sedition. First of all, they say, Paul was a plague, spreading unrest amongst the Jews throughout the Roman Empire. And secondly, they say he was a ringleader of a heretical sect that was not recognized as a legitimate religion by the Roman government. And thirdly, they say, since he had tried to desecrate the Jewish temple, by taking a Gentile beyond the court of the Gentiles into the court of the Jews, Rome should hand him over to the Jews to execute him. Now, the Romans had granted that kind of thing to the Jews. They could deal with that matter. If a Gentile went into the court of the Jews, the Jews had the right to execute him, even though the person concerned might be a Roman citizen. And Tertullus's strategy here was to hope that based on the Jews testimony Felix would act in his usual insensitive and cruel manner and have Paul executed. Now Tertullus flatly lies when he states that the Jews arrested Paul in the act of trying to desecrate the temple. The fact was the Jews mobbed Paul with the intent to kill him. But the Roman commander intervened to save his life. But in spite of such blatant falsehood, 
all of the Jews joined his attack, asserting that the charges were against Paul were true. Look at verse 9 of chapter 24. Blatant falsehood. Now, with that background in mind, let's look at the two factors that went into Paul's integrity. First of all, I want to say we can live with integrity by speaking the truth in every situation. Paul's integrity enabled him to give a calm, straightforward reply to the accusations against him. He lived openly before God and men, and thus he didn't have to weave a tale of half-truths or misleading statements to defend himself. He simply spoke the truth, refuting each of the charges in order. Now, to the charge of stirring up sedition, Paul pointed to the facts. It had only been 12 days since he went up to Jerusalem to worship. Paul's irrefutable argument is simply that he had not enough time to stir up sedition, as his accusers had charged. Furthermore, he says, his purpose in going to Jerusalem was not to stir up the crowds, but to worship. Thus, he had not preached or even carried on a group discussion in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor anywhere else in the city. His accusers could not prove their first charge. And regarding the second charge of being the ringleader of a heretical sect, Paul did not deny his commitment to the Christian faith, which he calls the way, but he denies that it is an heretical Jewish sect. He affirms his belief in everything written in the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament as we know it. He also reaffirms or affirms the Jewish hope denied by the Sadducees, but put forward by the Pharisees, as we saw last week, the hope of resurrection in the Jewish scriptures. What he's saying is that he follows everything found in the Old Testament. Now, it's interesting to pause at that moment, because remember last week I talked about the differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And uh, what Paul says here implies that there are many Pharisees present at this uh, with uh, the Jews in this uh, getting together with Felix, Pharisees who had put to one side their integrity. They were, there must have been some Pharisees we saw last week who got so upset about uh, the fact that Paul was on trial and uh, he was affirming the resurrection and we saw how very cleverly Paul got out of that situation by pitting the, the Sadducees against the Pharisees. Here, he mentions the fact these guys are in agreement with him. And uh, very interesting. But they may be in agreement with him on the resurrection, but 
they're, they're, they're putting that to one side and just wanting to get rid of him. That's the point. Both Sadducees and Ananias, the high priest, being there, and Pharisees had joined forces to get rid of Paul. Now, regarding the third charge, that he had desecrated the temple, Paul points out his reason for coming to Jerusalem. And that reason was to bring gifts to his nation and to present offerings. His point is that he had come to Jerusalem for noble purposes and had gone through the ritual purification. And as he was going about his business doing this, certain Jews from Asia who recognized him stirred up the crowd against him. Now, in 24 verse 19, by pointing out that his accusers should have been present, Paul was raising here a point of Roman law. And Roman law imposed very heavy penalties on accusers who kind of abandoned their charges. In normal circumstances, the disappearance or lack of presence of accusers often meant the withdrawal of a charge. And Paul concludes this point by pointing out that the only supposed misdeed that any of his accusers had against him was his statement whilst being on trial before them, his statement of his belief in the resurrection of the dead. Paul answered his accusers by simply speaking the truth. Now I want to say to say that being a person who consistently speaks the truth is a very freeing concept. See, if you're in, as it were, the spin business of making yourself look better than you really are, then you have to remember what you've said to whomever and hope that those try, you're trying to impress don't start comparing notes. But if your life is what, so one man said, a single fabric, and you habitually speak the truth, you don't have to worry about what you've said to whomever. whomever. You just speak the truth to everyone. And of course, as Christians, we are commanded to speak the truth. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Our God is a God of truth who cannot lie. Titus 1, verses 1 and 2. And as, follow, as his followers, as the followers of God, Jesus, we must become people who speak the truth in every situation. So, part of Paul's integrity was always to speak the truth, no matter what. The second part of his integrity is based on the fact he says in this particular chapter he he lived in line with the scripture now the scriptures he's talking about here are the old testament scripture the law and the prophets but remember paul said all scripture is inspired profitable for teaching for reproof for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that's what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And if we are going to be people of integrity, we must base our lives on the teaching of Scripture. Scripture. Looking at what God requires of us as his followers. Only then, when living in line with Scripture, can we truly be people of integrity. 
And the third thing about living with integrity that we can get from this particular passage, particularly regarding the Apostle Paul, is that we live with integrity by keeping a blameless, a good conscience, clear conscience, before God and men. Paul says here, he always sought to have a clear, maybe better translation, good conscience, blameless conscience, before God and before men. And you know, I was quite surprised in looking up um, the word conscience, how often it's used in scripture, because it's used many, many times. Let me just quote, Paul later tells Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He tells Timothy in that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, to keep faith and a good conscience, warning him that some have rejected these qualities and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So it's crucial for us to think about maintaining a good conscience both before God and men. It's a very interesting concept, conscience. I um, have thought about this and preached one or two sermons on it. And I want to suggest to you that we have to be careful in our understanding of what Paul is saying here and how conscience can be used in being people of integrity. Let me explain what I mean. Conscience can be educated. We learn our conscience is a very delicate instrument and it can be kind of uh, educated in the sense we learn things from our parents perhaps, from our school environment, from our, our social groups. And our conscience is is these kind of uh, areas of influence are brought into our conscience. But it means that we have to be very careful when we say things like, I have a clear conscience or I have a good conscience. You see, conscience, by the fact it can be educated, needs more than all the things I've said. It needs, as I said earlier, a life in line with scripture. Let me make the point. I was re- hearing on the radio this morning about um, the fact that magnetic north in our world is moving around. It's gone from being in Canada, I believe, to a bit more towards Siberia. The magnetic north moves around. And I want to suggest to you that in our culture, conscience can move around in that sense. In bygone days, it's very clear that something was wrong, but now it's not wrong. The, the standards have changed. And if we live our, 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 have our consciences linked or set by the wrong things, then whether it's clear or good misses the point. What we need to do is constantly look at setting our conscience in the right way, in the right things. And as I said earlier, in the second point, Paul sets his conscience by living in line with the scriptures. So, Paul is a man of integrity by speaking the truth. He's a man of of integrity 
by keeping his life in line with the scripture, which means he can live with a good conscience before God and men. The outcome of all this is um, the fact that Felix, who's a sad case actually, a man of, who lacks integrity big time, Paul is innocent, Felix knows it, Felix knows he should be released, but he also knows the Jews won't be happy if he lets Paul go. Now Felix at this time can't afford any more unrest in the area over which he governs. So he postpones the case with the excuse that he will decide it after he hears the testimony of Lysias the commander. This gets the Jews off his back and out of town. And he salves his guilty conscience by giving orders that Paul's custody should be fairly comfortable and free. Again, let me just say this. This shows us, shows us there's no guarantee that everything will go well with us, even when we walk uprightly before God and men. But the Lord was with Paul there. And it's better to be in custody, having spoken the truth, lived in line with scripture, having a clear conscience, than to be, have power and money. So, next week we'll follow what happens when uh, Felix is removed from the governorship and Paul appears before another governor. God bless you. Amen.